gates open, off and Skyly Sensory stayed in the gate. There's Bo Rogue being set alight immediately by Cyril Small and racing to the lead. But Bo Rogue won't give up, he's still in front. Groucho's grabbing him now. Groucho coming at Bo Rogue, don't play, getting a rails run. Bo Rogue in front, he's got a heart as big as himself. He'll win, Bo Rogue! Bo this Rogue podcast is brought to you by Harness Racing New South Wales. Harness Racing New South Wales has established a much-needed initiative to help harness racing participants who are struggling with personal issues through these tough times. It's called Mates for Harness, and it offers a helping hand to anybody struggling with the ravages of drug or alcohol abuse, domestic violence or mental illness. Mates for Harness is there for anybody needing a helping hand. The support group is headed up by the very experienced Morris Logue, Chaplain Colin Watts and a sports psychologist Oliver Britt. Ambassadors are on standby all over the state. In the metro area, it's Darren Binskin. The Hunter, Peter Allen. The Northwest, Leanne Flower. The Western Districts, Amy Reese. The Riverina, Seren Adams. And the Far West, Steve and Marie Robinson. If you need to talk to somebody, Mates for Harness can help www.matesforharness.com.au or ring Morris Logue on 0400 984 193. You don't need to be alone. Talk it over with a mate. Sydney's Robert Morris is right up there among Australia's busiest harness racing drivers and has been since winning his very first race at Penrith 14 years ago. Son of former outstanding race driver Peter Morris, Robert is now edging up towards 1,700 career wins with eight Group 1s already on his CV. The majority of Robert's race drives come from the 50-horse stable operated by his wife, two-time New South Wales Premiership winner Kerry ann Turner. Whenever he's not required by the home stable, his services are often utilised by trainers, who appreciate his competitive style of driving. Young Robert was all dressed up and ready to rumble when he was just 14 or 15, but was held back by his dad for what must have seemed an eternity. He was 17 when finally allowed to don the colours and was ready to take on some of Australia's best drivers. Robert first reached the century in 2011-12 when he finished the season with exactly 100 wins. He's topped the century every season since, with his career best of 179 coming up in 2015-16. As we record this podcast on Sunday, March 20, Robert is in second place on the New South Wales Premiership, a few wins astern of the in-demand young rangeman Cameron Hart. But the season is young. A big welcome to Robbie Morris to the podcast. Thanks for having me, John. No, great to talk, mate. I called your good wife, Kerry Ann Turner, there. I thought we might correct that immediately. No, that's all right. <laughs> Some Sa- days I think she wants to go back to Kerry Ann Turner. <laughs> you don't mean it. <laughs> <laughs> From Saturday to Saturday, most weeks, you compete at a minimum of four, sometimes five meetings. You're often at Bathurst on Wednesday nights and at Newcastle on Friday nights. Late nights are not uncommon for you, are they? No, no. We, um, especially this time of year with Bathurst Carnival on, they're they're quite common. But yeah, no, it's a 
it's always a bit of a long drive home on a Friday night from Newcastle, that's for sure. All right, if you win a race or two. It's amazing what one winner can do for you, John. <laughs> it, you float home with a winner. Yeah, I always say if I get a win, if I win the first, I'm in for a good day. It doesn't matter what happens from then on. If you can win the first, you're over that that hurdle. Kerry Ann has got a 50-horse team. Now, not all are good enough to run at Menangle on Tuesdays, let alone Saturdays. So, Rob, you've got to take them where they've got a chance of earning prize money for owners. It's part of the game. Yeah, it is. You know, it's part of anything. We're very lucky. We've got a very broad, broad sort of client base, and Kerry does a terrific job with her horses. And you know, she's got a good, really good group of owners. And and some of them have got really fast ones. Some of them have got just your Penrith or your Newcastle horse. And at the end of the day, they're all paying the same bills. So you got to place the horse where the horse can earn money, and that's that's sort of what we're about. And and we have been, and and we thrive on, you know, training for the the person we've won horse, and where we train for people that have got. 15 at once, you know, yeah. we just, you know, we try and cater for everyone. Let's look at a normal day for you with a 50-horse team to be worked. Do you do much work on the ground or are you in and out of the gig taking horses to and from the Menangle track all morning? Yeah, no, I am. Um, me and Josh, or Josh works for Kerry and we get up and help him every morning and me and Josh generally go down the track. Um, Kerry will be with us most trips. Obviously, we've got two young kids, so... She does them first, and then she heads on out. But she's always, um, yeah, she's very diligent. The board's got everything written on every night what we've got to do in the morning if she's not out there early. So, um, yeah, generally I just go in and out. We've got staff that gear up, ungear, and we've got a really good bunch of staff at the moment, and they got them all pretty organised. And it's a little bit sort of in and out for me. I, I don't do too much on the ground. I'm just sort of jumping from gig to gig. Yeah, you've been around the money in the New South Wales Premiership for eleven or twelve years now with some pretty tough opposition. Cam Hart, uh, Luke and Todd McCarthy have won premierships. Amanda Turnbull, I think, has won three of them. Lauren Tritton was successful in one year. Uh, But you've been snapping at their heels, Rob. Are you frustrated by the fact that you haven't been able to win a premiership so far? Oh, look, I don't know if the word's frustrated. I'm more proud, you know, proud and, um, you know, it's an honour sometimes. You know, you see plenty of people have one really good year and, and then they sort of, you know, they don't have that year again. But one thing I am proud of is I get a really good support from obviously my wife's team, but, I, you know, there's probably not too many races that go by that I'm not in. I've mm. got a lot of good trainers that support me when Kerry doesn't have runners. So um, I'm very lucky that way, and I'm more sort of look at it the other way and say, well, yeah, I haven't won one, but there's probably not too many people in the state that can say that they've sort of, top two or three every year consistently. So, mm. yeah, we just got to keep ticking over and it'll come one day. It's something that I, I'm not going to sit here and lie. I, no. I definitely want to win one, um, but it'll happen when it happens. You know, I think yeah. I'm one of them people that I, I I think that if you worry about things like that too much, yeah. you try too hard and then it gets further away. So yeah. you just got to take it. As long as we're turning out our winners, we'll um, mm. keep tipping away. Rob, you're 30 years old. There's a ton of time. Yeah, a lot of people actually, it's funny that Grant Dixon, a good friend of mine, he, he stirs me up all the time because the amount of people, when they actually ask me my age and I say that I'm 30, mm. they all think I'm cracking jokes like that. No one, they all laugh at me like I'm, you know, I, I don't know why, but I, um, I, people think I'm a lot older than I am. Well, Rob, you've been around a long time. That's the point. You started early and you seem to have been in the gig race driving for 100 years when in fact it's 14. Yeah, 
Yeah, when you said that, at the, when you done the introduction, you said mm. 14 years, I thought to myself, geez, it's actually it's really probably not that long. But no, we've had a good 14 years and I've had a lot of support and I've had a lot of good people around me, which, mm. which you need. Carrie-Anne has been a very competitive race driver in her own right for a number of years, but nowadays she seems content to take a back seat. Her licence, of course, is current and she does have a drive from time to time. I think she likes going around on a trotter now and again, doesn't she? Yeah, she really enjoys the trotters. Um, you know, she works really hard with them and she puts a lot of time and effort into their gear and, and she trains them a little different to the paces, but... Um, she loves the trotters like Agent Mary. Um, you know, he's been a well whirlwind of a horse for her. And um, yeah, look, she she drive she'll drive paces if she has to, but mm. you know, she's probably lucky in a sense. If I can't drive him, um, Josh Gallagher, you know, who, you know, mm. he obviously works for us every morning, but he's more like family. He's um yeah, you know, he's an inter dominion arrangement himself, so she doesn't see the need to be going out there too much, especially with the two young kids. She's fairly busy as it is. Mm, and has absolutely nothing to prove as a driver. No, no, she was. Um, you know, I still have people say to me today there was none better than her, and she was just up. You know, she can get them run, and horses just they love her and they run for her. Yes. Now let's create a hypothetical situation here, Rob. You drive one for Kerry in a race, and you haven't been seen at your best. You go too early. You go too late, or whatever the case might be. Now, is Kez, if she doesn't mind my calling her Kez, is she prone to passing a casual comment about an inferior drive when you come back I in? I wouldn't call it a casual comment, but she'll tell me how she really feels. <laughs> so, I, um, it happened to me last night, actually. I um, I drove a little mare that's been going pretty good for us, and Josh actually been driving her a lot, and I drove her last night, and I handed up on her. Oh. And... um they walked through the middle stages and they ripped home in 26 flat and mm. she got to the crossbar, but, you know, they were just going too fast. And mm. I had them both telling me. Yeah, they both they both had a shot at me. But, yeah, Kez is um, – she's generally pretty good, but if she's not happy about something, she'll let you know pretty quick. So you had one on either ear. Yeah. I'd, well, Josh got into me first because he got first shot at me <laughs> and then my phone rang yeah. and it was Carrie and I said, she went good just trying to cover it up. Yeah. And she went, would have went a lot better if you held the front. And I thought, oh, that's where – we're all grandstand drivers now. Yeah, where was Kerry? She was at home with the kids last night. Oh. Yeah, my mum's over in Perth. Mum normally babysits the kids first with racing, but um, yeah, mum mum's over with Perth to see Angie at the moment. So um, yeah, Kez was at home with the kids. So she rang you on your mobile number, and you're only a quarter of a mile away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she she couldn't wait till I got home to tell me that I should hold the front. Kerry's <laughs> no. training record in recent years testifies to her dedication. She worries about every horse in the place, doesn't she? Yeah, there's there's not a horse here, whether it's a one-win maiden that's probably only going to win four races at Newcastle or whether it's, you know, Funky Monkey or your Aztec Bromax of the world. Yeah, they all get mm. treated. I think that's the one thing with her is she's, she's obviously, you know, the record says she's a good trainer, but it's it's more the love of the horse for her. You know, it's not how fast one's better than the other or what one's got more ability than the other or who owns what one, you know, mm. to Kez, she just loves the horse, yeah. Yeah, good stuff. You're fortunate to be able to draw on the wisdom of your dad, who was one of the best drivers of his generation, a great tactician, and he was usually in the right place at the right time. Yeah, he was, um, you know, obviously as I sort of started when I was younger, 
you know, he was probably on the end of his career. Um, mm. And he sort of was slowing down the driving stage from when I sort of really got into it. But um, yeah, obviously I watched plenty of replays and done plenty of track work with him. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of good judges, a lot of good horsemen tell me quite often, um, you know, how good a driver he was. But they always seem to follow it with how much I look like him, which offends me sometimes. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, they, he, he's, um, you know, he's a terrific horseman. But he was, you know, he's... His grandfather, Dar McCall, was obviously a terrific horseman and he's yeah. he's come from a long line of terrific horsemen and um, you know, he's he's his dad's tactical side of the game was probably from what I can get out of him, was probably ahead of his time. Mm, you know, yeah. he was he was doing times and mathematics and tactical sort of driving before, you know, probably anyone really caught on to it. But um mm, mm. yeah, now it's a lot of that. He was a star of the junior ranks and Whenever there was a young driver's promotion on anywhere in Australia or New Zealand, he'd be there. I can remember a midweek meeting at Harold Park years ago, Rob, when he drove five winners on the one program. Not many juniors do that. No, not at all. You know, that's the thing. To drive one winner, two winners, three winners is a good effort. To drive five in the one program, especially back in his era, junior drivers probably didn't get the... no. The, the the benefits that, you know, like I got when I was younger, you know. So, mm. you know, junior drivers weren't really a thing. So you had to go out there and you didn't get any help. But, um, you know, it's a terrific effort. Mm. Apart from being available for consultation 24-7, what is Peter's role at Kerry Ann Morris Racing? Yeah, he's um yeah, he's really good. You know, he's up every morning and uh, he does all the joggers. He's in the jogging machine. He loves his jog car. It's his... That's his holy grail. No one's allowed to move his seat or touch his radio station. No, he'd love it um, in the winter mornings down there with yeah, the heater yeah. in the car. <laughs> he's always the first out, and he's a he's always the first out, and he's always the first to tell you that he was first out. Yeah. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, he's he's vital, you know, because it's like anything, and when you're running a big stable, and obviously I just drive, so I'm sort of here to help where I can. But yeah. he, I think he's really helpful to carry because he's got the trainer's eye. He obviously trains some very good horses. Mm. And, um, you know, and he, he enjoys that. And if, if he thinks Kez has sort of missed something or I've missed something, he, he's always quick to lend a hand. But mm. that's probably the beauty of how our stable runs is, you know, we've got, you know, between me me and obviously Kez being the boss and then Dad, Josh, we've got terrific horsemen, mm. horse people around all the time that, yeah. you know, can pick up any little thing. So it, it really helps. Mm. And what's your old man's attitude if you happen to put in an ordinary drive? Does he have anything to say? Yeah, he, he, he's probably the worst of all because he can hold on to a grudge longer than anyone I've ever met. <laughs> I can slaughter one on a Saturday night and he's still telling me about it three weeks later. Oh, dear. But, no, nah, he's good. You know, I think as he's got older, he's got a bit more tamer and, um, you know, he, he loves sitting there. He doesn't come to the races very often. Mm. I try to drag him there, but he'll only really go if I'm – sort of Newcastle and I need someone to drive me home after a long night at Penrith or something. But, mm. um, yeah, genuinely it sits at home and he watches, but uh, he gets great thrills and there's not a day that doesn't go by where I get up the next morning and, you know, even this morning, uh, Keza won the trot last night with Sonny G. Mm. And um, he first thing he said to me was, Agent Mary last night. And I said, oh, yeah, how did he go? I think he ran six. But he told me every sectional he went, like he clocked him. Oh, he got home in 57-2 over 2300 that little horse is flying you know he, he you know he enjoys it obviously he's lived and breathed harness racing oh, yeah. all his life so yeah. he still sits down and 
sort of goes the tactics and the time and he's got his he sits in his lounge chair and he's got his glass of scotch in his right hand and he stopped watching his left. So <laughs> that's that's how he likes to keep it. And your wonderful mother, Margaret, probably the most important member of the team. She keeps the ship steady at all times. I I say this to anyone that'll listen and um I think it's something that every every person should be lucky enough to have is a mum like mine. Um, mm. yeah, she, we wouldn't be able to be any of us kids where we are to, without without mum. She's um, mm. you know, dad can teach me all he wants, but mum's taught me more more vital lessons in life of being calm and turn the page and mm. let it go. You know, holding on to things don't help anyone. And mm. she's just a beautiful woman, my mum, and there's probably not one person I don't think that wouldn't agree with that. No, and, uh, absolutely. You know, She's she's worked just as hard as anyone, you know. I remember when I was at school, she'd be out at the stables morning and night and working all day. And mm. um, she's probably took a bit of a back step now. Now that it's grandkids, mm. um, me and Kez wouldn't be able to do what we do without Mum looking after our kids. No. So um, yeah, no, I, I, I'm pretty happy and pretty chuffed that I got a little boy and a little girl that can spend as much time with their nan because she's a beautiful person. And that little boy Archie is six. That little girl Stella is just 11 months. You tell me Archie is already a master exponent with the mini trotters. Yes, as we speak right now, he just come up the driveway with his pony. Mm. Um, he's uh, He loves his pony. He goes down and he works to sort of – I've got to try and hold him back, the poor little thing. She's the fittest mini trotter going. Um, <laughs> if he had his way, he'd work it before school and after school. But um, <laughs> yeah, he's got two ponies. He trains two. He's got two. He's got one. One that he races and one that he tells me that it'll be it'll be right by the time his sister needs a pony because he doesn't want to give up the one that he's got. No, so no. um so he's training training the two and um yeah, no, he loves it. You know, he, he knows every horse and he's at that age now where last night he, he come he obviously he come to the race with me last night and Kez stayed home with Stella because she's too young and he'll sit in the tea room and he ronders out to the grandstand and watches the races and mm. talks to me about them and um he goes to a private school, but I said to Kez, I don't know why we're paying for too much education because mm. I'll be amazed if he doesn't drive trotters. Oh, that's, I was just going to say, next step, if you're putting up a market about his likelihood of following in your footsteps, he'd be at a very short quote. Yeah, he'd be about a dollar. Now, Rob, for the fans who uh, are really keen on uh, Sydney Rangeman, we're going to retrace your career in the sulky. Now, I'll never forget your first winning drive on the 4th of January 2008. I was sitting on one of those park benches up on the hill there near the home turn. The venue was Penrith. The horse was JFK, trained by your dad. It was the only race the horse ever won, by the way, but a very important one for you. Is it clear in your memory? Yeah, yes, I still remember to this day, I actually still remember sitting in the back of the truck on the way to the races thinking to myself how nervous I was. Mm. But, um, yeah, he, he only won the one race and he was owned by a lovely lady that still supports the stable to this day, Lynette Philpot. Mm. And, um, yeah, he won the one race. He was actually, ironically, he's my first winning drive and he was my first fall as well. Was he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got tipped out of Bankstown, only one galloped in front of us and, and mm. blundered and it was – all up, but um, yeah, no, he was he was just a, a just a horse, and he, he luckily he went on that night at Penrith. We got a good trip, and everything mm. worked out in his favour. Your mother came to Penrith that night to watch you in action, 
She was sitting up in the grandstand, and when you went past the post, she had to be forcibly restrained. Yeah, she was pretty happy. That's <laughs> one thing. She's always been very proud of her kids, and she's always been my number one supporter, Mum. She's um, She was pretty happy. Yeah. Well, I was up on the turn, as I mentioned. I could hear your mother screaming <laughs> above the public address and all racetrack atmosphere. She drowned everything out. They could hear her at Panthers, I reckon, across the road. <laughs> That's right. You know, David Wilkins was one of your very staunch supporters early days, and it was Dave who supplied your first Harold Park winner, Virage, in an MO-class race. That was March of 2009, and blow me down, you won on the horse again one week later. Yeah, David and, and Mary Wilkins, obviously David's mum, were massive supporters for me. I was lucky enough when I was younger, obviously David trained also just down the road and um, I'd always help him and Dad. I'd always go from place to place and I'd always go to the races with Wilco from a young age. Mm. And, um, you know, we're a bit of an age difference, but we always got along really good and I probably looked up to him and um, still do today. Unfortunately, I think he's a loss to the industry because he was probably one of the best trainers that I think I've driven for. Mm. Um but he still runs his own transport company and I still see him every day coming and going with horses. But, yeah, he was he was super to me and Mary was great. You know, they I drove a lot of nice horses for him, Virage and Bonnie Mahoney and mm. Bella Shine, Bluey Mahoney. Yeah, we had a lot of good success and he was a really good trainer and Virage was a ripper horse. Mm. Well, we've mentioned Harold Park, Rob. It's been gone for 11 years now, but your memories of the place are indelible ones. Now, just to emphasise what it meant to an up-and-coming young driver, could you explain the feeling the night you drove your first Harold Park winner? It's it's one of them things that I don't think, and I think it's a cry and shame because I, I know times change and, and we had to move and things like that and I'm, I'm never going to be, you know, I remember doing a story review when they shut it down. It was obviously quite sad, but mm. you come out from under that tunnel and you looked up at that grandstand to a, Full full grandstand of people, you know. You, it was like you were, you know. It was like you were a star football player. Yeah. You know, it was the atmosphere and the and the feeling that it gave you when you sort of come to a mile start and the, the mobile let you go, and you could if you drew six, you could feel someone four steps away from you. Yeah. You know, it was, you know, and they had them. I remember when I started driving. I only think I got two or three years in there, but they had them ten for thirty nights, and they'd get all the uni students. And, yeah. You know, it was a great atmosphere and to come out of that tunnel and look up to that, that glass or that glass and the restaurant above you, mm. it was um, it was a feeling like nothing else and I think it's a cry and shame that our junior drivers don't have it anymore and I, I think mm. it's sort of a cry and shame that they don't get the chance to drive on a track like that anymore because that's where you cut your teeth. Mm. You know, that's what made, you know, the Blake Fitzpatricks and the Mees and Mm. You know, that that track was just outstanding for your judgment. Mm. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned a filly there a moment ago, Bonnie Mahoney. You drove her for David Wilkins in every one of her 25 starts and every one of her nine wins, which included the Group 1 Breeders' Challenge three-year-old final in 2010. Do you remember the race, Rob? She won by an eyebrow. Yeah, yeah, she won by a whisker. I thought I went too early too. Blake got off me back and he was coming up, Princess. But, mm. um, yeah, she was 
I'd love to sit here and say she was the nicest mare I ever drove, but Wilco will vouch for this. She was a dead set tart. Mm. Oh, gee, she was terrible. She <laughs> would get on the shaft and she'd wee and she'd kick and oh, she was horrible some days. But mm. um, it's probably why he didn't let anyone else drive her, to be honest, because she was yeah. If you weren't careful, John, she'd she'd lay on the shaft and start horsing, oh, and yeah. I kid you not, she'd tip you straight out. She'd hit it with that much force. Mm. If you weren't sitting on the other side wheel, she just tipped the card up. Yeah, she was. Yeah, she was. She was had an attitude, but probably made her the man she was. And and I don't think if Wilco didn't train her, I don't know if she would have been the horse she was. Mm. Wilco and Mary put a lot of work into her, and um, she won that Breeders' Challenge. And unfortunately, her career was probably cut a bit short. Um, but yeah, she was. She was a great mare, and she was great to me, Wilco. And she um she won. She, she one thing she did do when she was on the track, she was all heart. Yeah. You know that. Particular day when you won that uh, Breeders' Challenge final, that was the twenty seventh of June two thousand and ten, and that remains the most significant of your career. You made it a Group One double on the day when you won the Breeders' Challenge two year old Carlson Geldings final on XL Stride for Lizzie Heath, who was training him at the time. And correct me if I'm wrong, I think you drove another two winners on the day, four all up. Yeah, I was, um, you know, 2010 seems a long time ago, but when you were born in 91, I was I was obviously very young and I just think it was something that not many kids of my age probably got the chance to do. And, um, you know, I still put it down as one of the best days on the racetrack because I just, you know, you, you drive them winners and as a young kid, you know, I had, and you can't do it without the support, obviously, Lizzie and John Heath and, um, David Wilkins and, you know, XL Stride was owned by Emilio Rosati, which is a very prominent owner. And mm. so a young kid to get such an opportunity um, and to grab it with both hands, although he did, and it all worked out in our favour. It was um, it was a red-letter day that I, I don't think you can top unless I, mm. you know, I've actually, I've managed to do it again since, drive two group one winners on the one night. But um, when you're a little boy and you would have seen me go into the races when I was a little kid, it was something that I yeah. always dreamt of. And um, to actually do it, it's um, you know, a lot of hard work and dedication, but you couldn't do it without the people you drive for. You won five two-year-old races on XL Stride, who finished up winning 28 uh, throughout his career. By gee, you were lucky to get on a nice horse like that so early in your career. XL Stride is probably one of them horses that, that helped me work out what this industry is all about and, and le- helped me. Not only did he helped me cop the wins and then the big races because he was an extremely talented horse, but he helped me cop the lows really good. Mm. Um, you know, obviously I drove him in all 11, I think, of his two-year-old starts. And um, at the end of his two-year-old season, Emilio Rosati decided, which he was more than entitled to, that the horse was probably a bit too good for a kid of 19 years of age to be mm. staying on him. So he elected to go with Greg Bennett, which I, I could have probably – cut my nose off to spite my face and mm. um, mm. throw myself down. But, you know, having grounding like, you know, my mother and father, and I still remember um, Craig Bennett himself said to me, don't cut your nose off to spite your face. It'll happen to you a thousand times more. Yeah. And um, and you know what? To this day, I think it was probably the best, the best bit of advice I could get off mum and dad, you know, turn the page, shake his hands. You know, Emilio mm. did nothing wrong. He's entitled to make decisions. And um, exactly. yeah, yeah it, it was really good for my career because it, as big a high that I was on with the horse, it probably brung me down to a little bit of a low, but that's mm. that's the industry. And I, I drove a cult for Emilio 
last Saturday at Newcastle, uh, Bathurst for the breeders of the mm. Bathurst Gold Crown. So, mm. you know, you get, you know, sometimes you drive horses and sometimes you don't, but I think I was lucky enough to get the opportunity on the horse and I think that probably set me up for a good future. Mm. Rob, I'll just get you to stand by there for a moment. We've got a clearer commitment on the podcast. Back with you after this. Trainers strive to have horses spot on for race day. Fuel cells up, the right mental state, the right fitness levels. Equally important is the horse's capacity to recover quickly from racing and track work. The aim is to give owners every opportunity to win optimum prize money by keeping a horse in training for as long as possible. High Gain Recuperate is a powerful blend of electrolytes, B-group vitamins and vitamin E in paste form which can be administered after fast work and in the days leading up to a race to assist recovery. 30ml of Recuperate drawn from the 500ml bulk pack is the economical alternative to individual electrolyte and vitamin paste syringes. High Gain Recuperate powers performance and recovery. Visit the High Gain website and use promo code johntap.racing to receive 15% off your next Recuperate purchase. Well, you've mentioned Greg Bennett, who was one of your inspirations in that era, as was Blake Fitzpatrick, and you were a great fan of the Victorian ace, Chris Alford. Yeah, well, when I was younger, sort of, Dad sat down and made me, when I, he was very astute at making me watch things, and I, I, he said, don't worry about watching me or watching, you pick two drivers and you watch them, and the two drivers I picked in Sydney were, were Blake and and Greg, and mm. um, they're both terrific, terrific horsemen. I think Greg just so tactical, and and Blake, uh, I've and still to this day, I've never seen someone at one with a horse like I see Blake. Mm. Um, you know his hands, everything about him when he was younger, and he's still a great driver today. But you know, watching him drive them good horses at B Hancock, Shelby, Bromack, and Sand Pebbles. Yeah, you know, I mention them horses now to young people, and they don't know what you're talking about. But yeah, yeah. you know, he was terrific, and um, Puppet. I formed a good relationship with Puffett. Me and him have always got along good, tongue in cheek. But there, mm. there would be no better driver. I think the thing that I I praised the Puffett so much for was, and the thing that I loved so much about his drive, and he's still got it today. And it'd be mm. something that I hope that I can have when I'm at his age. But yeah. whether Puffett wins a race at Swan Hill or whether he wins a race at Melton, the same drive and the same enthusiasm. And oh, the yeah. way he lifts one over the line, yeah. I, you know, he gets he gets things out of horses that no one else would. He's a marvel. Um, yeah, yeah, he's just terrific. So they were my three, and you know, I think I watched and I probed and I asked as many questions as I could, mm. and that um, probably helped me a fair way. Rob, you drove a brilliant mare called Make Mine Cullen in seven two-year-old races. She was trained by your dad at that stage of her career. You won a couple on her at Menangle. Did she feel like a mare who was going to go on and win 37 races, most of them in Victoria? She was a beautiful mare. Um, if I had me time over again, she was probably just a little early for me. Mm. Um, she was just too strong and I probably took that for granted. I, I actually should have won. The first race ever held at Menangle was a two-year-old race and Make Mine Cullen was in it. And at the time it was a 2,300-metre race, which was unheard of. And I, I went like a 47 lead time on her in the first two quarters in 30, Did you? Um, which in time mm. was just suicidal on a mare mm. like on a two-year-old filly. 
Mm. And uh, she got over that and she raced on and we won a couple with her. And then yeah. Roger Baisley decided to race her in Melbourne, which mm. uh, then she went to Eric and Glenn, Eric Anderson and Glenn Douglas and she'd done a terrific job. But, um, yeah. yeah, she was an awesome man and she was the same as two. She was just big, strong, robust and could run all day. And we had two horses for Roger at the time, both two. One was her and one was Jukebox Music. I think they both went on to win 30 races in Melbourne. They were both really yeah. nice horses and they were always going to do a good job, so. Yeah, I was lucky enough to drive her as well. You and Kerry Ann had a devastating experience in 2012 when you won a Group 1 two-year-old challenge final with a horse called Blissful Guy, only to lose it on protest to Noah Saint from the Fitzpatrick stable. You seemed to cop it pretty sweet on the day, Rob. Yeah, look, I, I think there's probably my mother coming out in me again. Um, you know, Things happen in racing. Protests are there for a reason, and um, everyone's entitled to throw to have a throw at the stumps. And at the end of the day, he did run up the track a little bit, and he um, he ran Noah saying up the track a little bit, and the margin was pretty slim. Mm. And um, the stewards have got a job to do, and, and Gavin Paul have got a job to do, and we've got a job to do. So look, at the end of the day, we tried. Um, wasn't probably the way we wanted it to work out, but. Mm. Like I, I, I say two things in racing, turn the page and character building. Yeah. And um, if, you, if you're going to be in this industry, you've got to learn to turn the page quick and you've got mm. you to learn to have character building nights. Yep. Your career has been enriched by the opportunity to drive a remarkable old horse called Carlu Mick. Owned and trained by Barry Lou. listen to this, he retired with a record of 159 starts, 64 wins and 59 placings. How did you get your bum on the sulky seat behind Carlu Mick? I was, I, was, um, I was just blessed really, to be honest. I, I, lucky enough, was in the right spots at the right time. But um, I, I managed to drive him, I can't remember the race now, but um, Greg always drove him, as, as you're aware of, and he got suspended. I think it might have been like a Brian Hancock Cup or, or something of that magnitude mm. at Menangle. And um, he won that. And um, I only got on him, and I swear to this day, and, and I, I couldn't thank him enough, Greg Bennett, um, which in, in my era, you know, and it was a feather in my cap. He, he said to Ron, Ronda and Barry Lou um, to put me on. Yeah. And they had a choice of a 1,000 different drivers they could have put on. Mm. And um, I was probably, for experience-wise, probably not up there. But mm. um, they listened and they had a lot of respect for Greg and um, he he went with me and, and I got the drive and then mm. Greg got back on and then a few weeks later I, I got the call up to drive him in a miracle mile and then it sort of went on from there. We were lucky enough to run second and, mm. yeah, I had a great probably last year and a bit with that horse and um, just probably once again helped my career go to another level driving for such great people like Barry and Rhonda, they didn't put any extra pressure on you. They were just there to enjoy their horse. And as long as their horse come back healthy yeah. and you come back happy, they were happy. Yeah. And, and to drive in that in that sort of situation and have a lot of luck for them. And, mm. yeah, they're two people that are very close to my heart and they help me a lot. And mm. I don't get to drive for them as much as I used to, obviously, because Barry only said to me the other night, well, leaving Bathurst, and he said to me, he said, I need to find faster horses. I've only got four slow ones. And I said, mm. we'll find them one day, Barry. They just got to keep, just got to keep turning them out. 
Yeah, absolutely. Oh, he's a small team trainer, so the odds are against him finding another Carlu Mick. But, mate, he can just uh, survive on the memories of Carlu Mick. You ran second in that Miracle Mile. That was 2011. Uh, smoking up, won it. You were only a metre from the winner. Yeah, it was um, It was one of them nights, you know, it just it all panned out well. You know, he was going in there as a long shot, you know, I, I got down to the rail, which is where I like to spend most of my time in races like that. And <laughs> they ran hard and yeah. you know, I still remember he come off the bridle at the 800, which ain't unusual, mm. and um, you had to get the work. I'll tell you, I've never driven a horse that was so good Mm. But Major worked so hard for it. Oh, he was horrendous. Yeah. And um, and we were sort of under the bat and he was sort of keeping the back of I'm the Mighty Quinn, but he was only just. Yeah. And then I'm the Mighty Quinn pushed off the fence and he just, as soon as the hole come, he just went bang, straight on the smoking ups back and then yeah. dropped the bit again. Yeah. <laughs> and then the gap come to the inside of smoking up and he went bang again. Yeah. And I looked, for about 10 strides, I thought, oh, we got him here and, you know, just mm. two war horses got into a ding-dong and smoking up, wouldn't let him pass his neck strap and old Mick was trying his guts out. But um, yeah, still to this day, and I say it to anyone that will listen to me, is I don't think I've ever, you know, I've driven a lot of quality horses, but I've never driven a horse that could be so smart mm. and so wise all in one. Like he would be, you'd be out on your feet and you think, oh, they're going to swamp me here. Mm. And every time one would get to his girth, yeah. He'd just find another level. And he wouldn't even feel like he found it, but he always managed to find himself in front. Oh, he's a remarkable old horse. You had two more goes in Miracle Miles after that. Charlevelle was one of them, finishing back behind my field marshal. And you ran fourth last year on the Black Prince in King of Swins' second Miracle Mile. You've had a great association with uh, the Black Prince for Roy Roots, You've won six races on him, including a Newcastle mile and the Len Smith mile at Menangle. He raced four back on the pegs in that race. Uh, that can be a worry, can't it? Yeah, it's, um, you know, sometimes it can be a worry, but I think the way the racing plays at Menangle a lot these days with the speed horses are going, it um, comes down to mathematics. And when they're going 49s and 48s on the fence, mm. there's not much hope for you to come four and five deep. <laughs> Unless you think you're going to get home in 44. So yeah. sometimes you've got to take them runs. And, and the Black Prince is one of them horses. He's an opportunist. We, we all know, you know, Roy Roy and his whole team and Borgie that owns him do a sensational job with him. But, yeah. you know, he's another one that they, they don't give me any set instructions, but they know that he's got to be driven a certain way. And uh, he's he's reaped the rewards off it. He's won a Newcastle mile and a Len Smith mile off it. But um, mm. he's a remarkable horse. And, I, you know, the, the Roots family have supported me since – I was a little fella with a junior claim, so um, you know, they've I've probably, although I've driven a lot of winners for them, I've probably slaughtered a few, but they've been nothing but loyal. Yeah, I was watching the replay of the Len Smith Mile the other day, Rob, and when that run came right along the pegs, and he took off, he really dashed, but did he put in one very rough step? Yeah, he's a he's a funny old horse. He. he when he sprints, he, he half he, he wears a lug and pole and he needs the lug and pole for the first probably 1,200. Yeah. But when he sprints, he tends to get away from the lug and pole. It's a little Goodness bit funny. Yeah. But, um, I, I, Chris Geary was in front of me and he elected to come one wide. Mm. And then when he as quick as he come one wide, he thought, oh, there's a run back to the fence. And he went to grab and come back in, but 
Mm. Prince moved that fast, he was there. Yeah. But just because he come in that half a you know foot, and Prince was sprinting that hard, he was getting up the track half a foot. Yeah. You wouldn't believe it. He just caught the outside of his wheel. Oh, is and, that what happened? He, yeah, he put in he, a roughie. He blundered. Mm. He blundered, but uh, you know he's such a good gated horse. As quick as he blundered, as quick as he paced, and he was yeah. he was off. But you know, as soon as he moved that night, I knew he was a winner because when he lets down, he's just electric. Mm. Oh, he's very quick. Hey, talking about lugging poles, and just going back to Carlu Mick for a moment. Carlu Mick raced with a pole on the outside for most of his career. Now, Rob, you wouldn't find six horses in the whole of Australia that race left-handed with a pole on the outside. It's a very rare thing. Did he? He must have always had a tendency to get up the track, did he? He was terrible. I mm. honestly, you know, and I remember ringing Greg when I first got the drive on him and, and Greg had an outstanding way of driving one out. Mm. And I said, oh, I'll just ask him. And he said, whatever you do, just get that left rein. And, and you couldn't – if if you just let him lock onto it, John, mm. he would run to the outside fence. Yeah, me. Like you had to keep – you had to gently just keep the bit moving on the inside of his mouth because mm. if he got it in between his teeth, mm. he'd end up on the outside fence. You had to keep sort of half just yeah. giving the bit a tug to, to keep him in. But he, he raced with a pole and a Murphy blind on the outside. Yeah. And needed every bit of it, every step of his life, yeah. Goodness me. So if you don't jiggle the bit on the near side of his mouth, he'd have finished up in the judge's box. Yeah, if you just locked it onto him, yeah. he would just lay on that pole like it was a running rail yeah. and um, you'd be in all sorts. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I've driven that many horses and as a rule, horses can hang in and sprint, mm. but very rarely can a horse hang out and sprint. Yeah, good and, point. And that yeah. horse could hang out all his life and would win races or of the horse he was, you know, he'd yeah. zipped up the fence in a miracle mile. Yeah, yeah, freak. Now, you've driven so many nice horses at the Saturday night Menangle meetings. It's pretty hard to pick one out as your favourite. You mentioned one earlier who did a great job, uh, Aztec Bromac. But would I be correct in suggesting that a horse called I Am Mister Brightside would rate very highly in your affections? Yeah, he's probably my favourite of all time. Mm. Um, you know, he was just one of them horses that everything, you know, he wasn't the soundest horse in the world and he, he wasn't the best horse in the world, but he ran second to Smolder in a Bohemia Crystal. He won a Simpson Memorial. Um, you know, he won a Derby Heat. He raced in all the derbies. He went, I think he went through to win 400,000, maybe even 500. Yeah. Um, you know, and he was, he was probably – he was also a horse that was close to everyone's heart because he was owned by the late Bill Green as well. Yeah. Um, and when when Kerry decided to start training, um, Bill supported us no end, mm. and his son to this day, John Green, still supports us to no end. Yeah. Um, and and I still remember Bill said there was a run up sale, and Bill rung me and Kez one day, and he said, "Oh, buy me a colt." And he said, and he wasn't really Bill's go doing that either. He yeah. he would spend money, but he'd spend money on a three-year-old from New Zealand, which could he knew he could race in a derby. Mm. Um, but he knew at the time, I think, that we needed some horses, and we were only young and getting going. And um, mm. so yeah, we me and Kez went down and worked all all of them, and and ran our eye through them, and we picked him. And I still remember the day he said, "At all the colts you can pick, you've picked one by Julius Caesar." Yes, <laughs> he wasn't setting the world on fire. And, he, and I went, yeah, I know. I said, but he's just, 
he's just a cool cult. And he went, oh, all right. Yeah. So, um, but he was always, Bill was a terrific mentor to me and he was always one to let you learn your lesson. Mm. So he, he let me go. Mm. And um, there's a few lessons that he taught me that I didn't, didn't turn out on top with, but that was mm. one. He, um, mm. he ended up being an absolute marvel of a horse, but he allowed us to mm. take our time. I think he only had two starts as a two-year-old, but um, yeah, it was a sad day. We ended up selling him to America. Yeah. And, um, and I've got to say, I've been associated with a lot of horses and I love all my horses, but he, he's the only one that I cried when he went down the driveway. Did he you was, really? Yeah. He was just one of them horses that I spent every day for a long time with him. Mm. And, um, yeah, he was just a ripper horse, yeah. Mm. Well, his record for you was 88 starts, 22 wins, 21 placings, and you drove him in 15 of those 22 wins. I think Kerry ann won a couple on him and uh, maybe Blake drove him one night too. Yeah. Now, Rob, you seem to enjoy driving the trotters and you've won many races uh, on the square gaiters. You've had a very good mare in the stable in recent times by the name of Funky Monkey. Doesn't even sound like a mare. She never stopped winning there for a while. Where is she? Yeah, she's actually going to trial Tuesday. Oh, good um, news, yep. After we... um. We sort of probably had the option after she she raced in the Inter Dominion heats and um, it was too much for her, John. You know, mm. as as trainers and owners and drivers, you know, we probably we, we put her in because she was going too good not to put her in, and it was on our doorstep. Mm. But if I had my time over again, we probably wouldn't have put her in. It was just you know she'd only had the twenty runs. Mm. You know, she had ten runs in New Zealand for maybe one win. Then she come here and had ten wins, ten runs in nine wins. Mm. In the space of three months, and yeah. it probably was just all too soon for her. Yep. Um, she lost away a little bit, but she also then did get a bit sick. So we treated her up, and you know, gave her antibiotics, and we gave her a good eight weeks off, and mm. we've worked her up nice and steady, and she'll have her first trial back on Tuesday. But um, yeah, she's just—I—I I don't think I've ever driven a trotter. Once again, you'll probably come up eventually in this conversation. Mm. I've been lucky enough to drive Tough Monarch, who's a terrific trotter, mm. but. I've never driven a horse like Funky Monkey for a speed. Mm. You know, for point-to-point speed, it's like driving a pacer. Mm. Oh, yeah, good. So you're trialling Tuesday. Would she yep. have a second trial or go straight to the races? No, nah, she'll have two trials, you know. she's She's got to go straight to Menangle on a Saturday night now. So she'll have two trials and then yeah. and head to the races from there. For a bloke who averages 1,200 race drives a year, you've had a pretty good run with injury. Easily the worst was the Penrith fall a few years ago, uh, which left you with a badly broken ankle. I can still see you hobbling around at Penrith there on Thursday nights in a moon boot. You were out for quite a while. Yeah, it was um, it's probably a low point. Um, you know, you sit in a hospital bed for, <laughs> for weeks on end and your legs back to front. And it's probably a lonely time in anyone's life and... Mm. Um, yeah, it was a long, grueling six months, but we sort of battled through. I was lucky once again, had a lot of good support around me and a lot of good people. And uh, yeah, it was something that you look back on now, and you know, it happens to all of us. It's it's a dangerous industry. You got to say to anyone that I talk to, there's not many sports where an ambulance follows you around all the time, and um, <laughs> that's just the way it is. But yeah. yeah, it was one of them days, and no one's yeah, no one's failed to get two year old Philly just come out of the gate and blundered and went down and. My ankle got caught and I still remember getting up and the adrenaline was pumping. So I got up and tried to jump on a 
mm. jump on her head to sort of keep her down. Yeah. And as quick as I jumped up, me me whole leg just folded up oh, and yeah. touched touched me knee. Mm. And um, I, I remember the late Peter Sullivan, God rest his soul, mm. he come flying around the ute, and I'm standing there on one leg because my mum always said to me, I "Don't care how bad you hurt, get up. You get up." Mm. So I got up and I said to Sol, Sol, come here, mate. I'm going to need you to put me, I've got to rest on you. And he went, whoa, what's wrong? I said, my leg, I don't want to look down, but I think it's I, like it's it's in a bad way. And he looked down and he went, I won't say the words he said, but in, in other words, he got back in the ute and looked away from me. He walked away. He oh, couldn't dear. deal with it. Oh, dear. And I had to go and lean to the outside fence. And, yeah, it was, um, mm. it was yeah, I've never – it's nothing worse than looking at your foot back to front. It's not a great feeling. Mm, it happened to me one night, Rob. I know exactly oh. what you're talking about. Yeah. Now, mate, um, youth's a wonderful thing. I think you were back in five months. Yeah. Yeah, I, I sort of done my physio and I, I probably pushed harder than I should have. Um, mm. But, yeah, we got back and I think some, some winter's nights you'll often see me now I get a little bit of a rock up and yeah, probably because yeah. I didn't take the time that I should have. But, um mm. Yeah, look, it's it's fine. I don't, you know, other than a bit of swelling here and there and mm. a few little aches and pains in winter, it's um, mm. it's all part of the business, unfortunately. Mm, mate, you'll get more than a rock up if you're sharing a scotch or two with your old man. Yeah, I, that's, I don't drink often. That's why he, he does <laughs> enough for both of us. <laughs> on that note, congratulations on all you've achieved in the first 14 years, Rob. You're still only 30. The best days are yet to come. Been a delight having you on the podcast. Thanks a lot, Tappy. It's appreciated. Mitovite has been producing high quality feeds and supplements for all walks of equine life for almost 40 years. Mitovite has become a household name in racing and breeding circles with products like Athlete, Formula 3, and Breeder, time tested products in the breeding barn and on the racetrack. 26 thoroughbred Group 1 winners this season have been on a Mitovite feeding regime. From humble beginnings on the New South Wales Central Coast, Mitovite has become a world leader in equine nutrition. Infrastructure investment in the production mill and close attention to nutritional science keeps Mitovite at a standard of excellence developed over four decades. Check the website mitovite.com or follow the Mitovite Racing and Breeding Facebook page. The Mitovite brand has earned the respect of horse people all over the world.